Howdy, howdy, friends and neighbors and others. We are here in the Book of Romans, Chapter 4. This is the Run of the Mills podcast. And my name is Mike Mills, and I will be your hostess with the mostest. And, uh, hey, we are in uh, Romans, Chapter 4, and we've been talking about this righteousness that comes apart from the law, this righteousness that we receive through faith, um, this righteousness that we that is by grace. It's a gift that we received. Uh, it's a promise given, and then the problem we received it uh, because we believe it. Pretty awesome thing. It's not by what we do, um, but it's by what God has done in us believing in that uh, what he's done. Well, hey, I have a great idea. Let's just read what the Bible says, and because uh, that's what it talks about. So the last... Uh, last time, a couple times, we've been talking about this great line in uh, Romans 4.21 about Abraham. Abraham being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Talking about um, how faith works. And uh, that Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And again, we've talked about this, about how we have this choice. Are we going to waver at God's promises or are we going to step out in faith, believing them? And it's a whole lot easier to step out in faith, believing God's promises when, number one, you know his promises. Number two, when you know who he is. And again, those things come as you read the Bible, spending time with him. You get to you get to see through his word, uh, through the inspiration of his spirit, who he is and um and what he's done. So, um, so after it says Abraham's been fully convinced that what God had promised, which was that he would make him a great nation and through him, all the world would be blessed. Um, being fully convinced that what God had promised, God was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now I've stopped at the last few times and we're going to move on because this is kind of the key, right? Because his whole point, for the first three chapters was people need a savior. The fourth chapter is, Hey, if you're all sinners and you need a savior, um, the savior is not the law. The savior is not being good, being good enough, doing enough good things, being a good person. Um, because the righteous standard of the law, we can't keep it. I mean, you think about just the 10 commandments. Um, it doesn't take, very long of reading those to realize maybe it's a nine-year-old that you've broken half of them, you know, and that you're in trouble. And a lot of people have this idea of, well, as long as you're trying, that's what God cares about. Um, I, trying doesn't save you. Uh, so what does? Well, how are we accounted? How are, how is righteousness put, you know, accounted to us? Well, that's what we read about that Abraham was convinced that what God promised he was able to perform. And therefore, in other words, because of that, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, this is cool. Verse 23. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Right? Okay. So, this is one of those things that a lot of times people misunderstand or miss in the Bible is there are certain things in the Bible that are, um, how do we say this? They are prescriptive, right? They're telling you this is how to do it. There's certain things in the Bible that are descriptive. 
And so we kind of have to say, you know, is this portion I'm reading, is this describing something or is this prescribing something? Is this telling me that something happened or is this telling me uh, that uh, I'm supposed to do something? And so when we're talking about Old Testament stuff, a lot of times people get all mixed up and they miss out on some important uh, things that God says about the Old Testament, and they'll take it strictly as descriptive. And there's a lot of things in the Bible in the Old Testament that are absolutely descriptive. When it talks about uh, David having multiple wives, that doesn't mean you should have multiple wives. When it talks about Solomon having hundreds of wives, it does not mean you should have hundreds of wives. It's telling you what he did. And the prescriptive aspect of that is um, actually the opposite. Don't do this because look at the mess it causes. Look at the havoc. Um, and so that's, of course, putting into effect the uh, that discernment of reading it and going like, okay, what's what's going on here? What's the fruit of the actions he took? So anyway, here's another thing that we need to keep in mind, that these things that are written about Abraham were not just written for Abraham's sake. It wasn't that Abraham was a special, unique case and that God said, well, I like this guy more than everybody else, so I'm going to impute righteousness to him and no one else. No, it wasn't written for that for that reason. In fact, I mentioned last time, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, which has kind of the same idea that says, you know, these things were not, were written for our instruction, that uh, these Old Testament accounts that we're reading about uh, weren't just written as historical narratives, that there's a greater reason that God inspired these authors to write these things down. Um, and so uh, those are good things uh, to keep in mind. Like, uh, I was just mentioning 1 Corinthians 10, 6. It says, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things. Um, so as they also lusted, which he's talking about the problems in the wilderness. And then verse 11, um, he says again, now all these things happened to them, talking about the Exodus, talk, happened to them as examples, as they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so, this is the same thing that he's that he's saying here is that these things were written for us. It wasn't just written down as a historical account, but there's a greater truth being being laid out here. This whole this whole picture of Abraham being uh, being justified by faith um, wasn't written down just because, oh, by the way, Abraham was justified by faith. No, it was written down because it was something that God had planned from the beginning to be the example uh, to be used to prove that we are justified by faith. So it says, now it is written, this was, I'm sorry, uh, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. And so he's saying, look, that the thing that was written about Abraham, it wasn't just written for him, but it was written for us because righteousness is imputed to us as well. But it's not imputed to us for believing the promise God gave Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. But it's imputed to us because we believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Now, some of you might argue with me and go, well, no, it's the same promise because Abraham's promise was the promise of a future coming savior who bless all the world. And I would say, yeah, you're right. So uh, I'm not, not arguing it with that point at all. Uh, 
but what he's saying here is more specifically, he's saying, look, if you want to be, if you want that right just imputed to us, who, well, who is it imputed to? It's imputed to, to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead. And this is one of those great things where you say, well, who raised up our Lord Jesus from the dead? Well, the father, yes. The spirit, well, yeah, the Bible says that too, that the spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And wait, Jesus raised himself. No one takes my life, um, but I lay it down and we'll lift it up again. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a Trinity. It's a triune God thing. Well, that's cool. So uh, we, if we, it, that righteousness is imputed to us who believe in Jesus, believe in him, who raised up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Who, those of us who put our faith in that we're we believe right we're fully convinced that god has promised us this salvation and that he's able to perform it now here's the great thing about it right he died on the cross for our sins and then he was raised up again he demonstrated his power over the greatest problem that we have. And so we can put great faith in him because he showed himself greater than the great enemy of mankind and, well, the great enemy of creation, which is death. You know, the great statistic, one out of one people and creatures die. We all do. And so death is this great enemy. And you have all these great philosophers and religious leaders, and great in air quotes for those of you that can't see, um, great religious leaders and great philosophers who have all these great ideas and yet all those great ones are dead or will be. And the difference between Jesus, of course, is that he demonstrated his power over death by rising from the grave. And so we know that he has the power to back up his promises. And so it's not just, well, I'll save you. And then he died and we never saw him again. It's, I will save you. And then he died and rose again, showing that he has the power to do what he promised to do. Hey, you know what this means? I think we just finished up chapter four. Woohoo! So next time we'll hit up chapter five. See you then. God bless you.